Getting Smart's new Pathways campaign has showed us both the need for Pathways to quality jobs and the need for Pathways that prioritize a better future. Our recent publication, Green Pathways, focuses on programs, people, and possibilities at the intersection of the workforce and sustainability, an essential partnership to meet the pressing demand of climate change and federal policy. You can check it out at gettingsmart.com slash greenpathways or at the link in the show notes. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Mason Pasha. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Shiva Rajbandari, a current freshman at UNC Chapel Hill. Shiva is a climate and education activist who is to date the first student on a school board in the state of Idaho, where he went to high school. Great to meet you, Shiva. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So I was doing a little bit of digging on the internet, and I found uh, that climate change is sort of the first thing that seems to really have like grabbed you from the level of activism. Um, you cited a seventh grade encounter with it, I believe. Um, give me a little bit of context. Like, how did you encounter climate change for the first time? Yeah, gosh, I was in seventh grade and I took earth science, and which is a required course. And um, we had about a two-week unit on, on climate change, which I later learned is actually pretty rare in, in Idaho because climate change at, at the time was not part of our state K-12 science standards. Um, but yeah, we talked about the greenhouse effect and, uh, you know, coral bleaching and and how the icebergs are melting. And it was scary because, you know, I like care about the coral reefs and the icebergs. And and as I started to to like dive deeper and learn more about the climate crisis, I, I learned it's, it's more than just uh, the animals in the ocean that, that are uh, being affected. It's real people and real like human lives that, that are on the line. I remember learning about uh, Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico um, that killed more folks than 9-11. Um, climate bombshell. I remember hearing about these fires in California that burn entire towns to the ground because the forest was so dry and the winds were so uh, so fast. And I particularly remember learning about uh, my dad's home country, Nepal, um, where the Himalayan glaciers are receding at such a rate that it could destabilize the entire Indian subcontinent by 2100 and deny millions of people uh, you know, basic water and food. Um, and that really scared me. And so for you know the next year, year and a half after learning about all these things, I did what kind of corporations and you know the world kind of tells us to do about the climate crisis. And that is, you know, I, I became a, a master of our city's recycling system, and I started taking cold showers. And I begged my parents if we could go vegetarian. Um, and um, I just remember kind of just sliding into this like pit of climate despair and like, you know, paralysis from climate anxiety. And I remember one day, like just maybe a year into this, this kind of uh, climate anxiety um, time in my life, I remember like just looking around and seeing, you know, all these things that I've been doing, right? Uh, you know, I hadn't bought new clothes. I, I hadn't uh, taken a warm shower. Uh, you know, I was composting all my all my food scraps, and nothing was changing. Another report had just come out detailing that you know we were just one step closer towards global climate collapse and, and warming over 1.5 degrees Celsius, um, and it was really hard. Um, but then I remember uh, that all changing my freshman year of high school when I. Um, was walking with my friends after school, um, you know, in mid-September, and we saw this bright yellow sign, 
and it says something like Boise Climate Strike uh, this Friday at, at the Capitol. And I didn't use Google Calendar much at the time, but I remember like specifically writing like five calendar notifications for this, this climate strike. I really wanted to go. Um, so that Friday, my friends and I walked out of school and we walked down from, from North Junior High to the Idaho Capitol. It's about seven blocks. And, you know, like a lot of state capitals, the Idaho Capitol is built to hide protests, right? So you can't tell if anyone's there as you're pulling up. Um, but I remember as I turned left on Jefferson Street and saw the Capitol steps um, and saw not a hundred, not a thousand, but over 1500 of my peers, junior high kids, just like me, standing on the steps, demanding our leaders take action, demanding an end to fossil fuels. Um, and I think all, like, all this weight that I carried around um, for like the last two years turned into um, really the sense of empowerment and a sense of like, maybe we really can do something about this crisis. And all the guilt and shame I felt turned into this like sense of anger as I realized that, you know, the people causing this, this, this crisis are not folks like you and me. They are wealthy fossil fuel billionaires and the politicians who serve them, um, you know, who are, are willing to sell our planet, sell our future down the line for a couple bucks. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I haven't, you know, left the movement since then um, because I, you know, I know this is the, this is the only way. Um, and I'm excited to do whatever I can to, to take down the fossil fuel industry and, and, um, and the climate crisis. It's quite the journey. I, do, yeah. ha, so I want to go back to kind of something you said at the beginning, and then we'll get back to kind of where you left us. Um, when you said that you were sort of doing the things that TV tells you to do to basically like, you know, stop, stop the climate crisis, like cold showers and recycling. Um, what what did the climate curriculum tell you to do? Like it, it it sounds like it was scary to like hear these things, but then was there any sort of like pivot towards action? How implicated were you? Like, can you can you spend a little bit of time reflecting on that? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Our our climate curriculum, Boise has really led the state with our K twelve climate curriculum, um, and I was really lucky to have the climate education that I did. Um, and then later on to be able to take a class at Boise State University on specifically focused on, on climate change. Um, but yeah, I think especially back when I was in seventh grade, the way we talked about climate change was as an individual issue, was something that we didn't have the solutions to, was something that you know was caused by a myriad of factors. And, and we kept talking about how there's a scientific consensus and climate change is real and it's happening. Um, but not a lot about what we needed to do to stop it. Um, and I think that's something that's, that's changed a little bit um, since since I graduated seventh grade. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's still, uh, I think it's still a problem, right? That we're really not preparing students around this country to tackle the, the largest problem our, our, you know, humanity has ever faced, right? Um, you know, the problem that will, that will dominate uh, my generation and and many generations after, like the rest of our lives, right? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, there definitely was room for improvement. So when you got to ninth grade, I believe you kind of led a petition effort to get your uh, was it your school or your district to adopt a climate action plan? Uh, I think it was like a ten year forecast was sort of what you were shooting for. Get, walk me through that process, like. 
How did you identify that as the thing you needed to do? And what did it actually look like to try to get them to do it? Well, it's simple. School districts around the country have taken climate action um, for, for years and saved millions of dollars because as it turns out, fossil fuels are, are not a viable economical uh, alternative to clean energy anymore. Um, and our generation cares the most about the climate crisis. We are going to be affected the most by the decisions that the folks in power are making today. So it just makes sense that our schools are leading the way towards the fossil free future that we deserve. Um, I was a part of a, a group called the Idaho Climate Justice League. Uh, students from all five high schools uh, across the Boise School District um, working for a clean energy commitment and long-term sustainability plan for our schools. This is something that had been done, yes, in liberal New York and, and California and Chicago, but also in places like Salt Lake City, Utah, Denver, Colorado, Virginia Beach, Miami, um, and everywhere that, that schools had taken climate justice seriously, money had been saved, resources had been reinvested in students, and learning outcomes had been improved. Uh, there's plenty of evidence to show that, you know, tackling the climate crisis and teaching climate change and preparing students to confront the myriad of issues that are associated with global warming um, go, go hand in hand. Um, and so we, we started asking for our board members to, to take the climate crisis seriously. Um, we, yeah, you, you mentioned the petition. We, we got a petition with like over a thousand signatures. I think it was the largest petition our school district had ever received. We wrote over 300 postcards to our board members. We repeatedly asked for meetings um, and repeatedly we were turned down or kind of uh, ignored. And I think there was this sense at the time that, um, you know, our district had bigger fish to fry and that student voices, you know, as students, we didn't really know what, what we were talking about, which, which was not true. Um, and so that's when we started to demand more. Right. We started to walk out. We started writing op-eds and generating local media. We hosted a city club forum and we invited our board members to, to, to actually sit on the forum. Um, we held conversations with students in other school districts where climate action plans had been successfully implemented. Um, and ultimately, we were successful in pushing our board to, to adopt a collective commitment on clean energy, which was a somewhat watered down version of, of what we'd asked for. But represented a major shift in in the decision-making process in our school district because as far as we knew um, our district had never bent to to public pressure especially from students in, in such a way where did you learn those mechanisms of civics like just the the idea of doing this forum or the idea of these postcards and petitions yeah I mean I think from the beginning in Boise schools, I've been told, you know, my teachers every day have told us our voices matter and we can make a difference. And we've learned, you know, about the civil rights movement, about World War II and the Great Depression and how society came together and brought about massive change that folks over and over again were telling them was not possible, um, that they were dreaming too big. Um, and so, you know, it, it just made sense, right, that if we cared about the climate crisis enough, that we should be able to, to force our district to take real action. Um, we were lucky to have some mentorship from the Sierra Club um, and being a part of, of Sunrise and the Extinction Rebellion um, and seeing you know, this mass movement all around the country or all around the world that uh, is, was calling on governments to really take ownership of this crisis um, 
really helped inform a lot of our decision making. But it truly was a student led group. Um, and we definitely learned a lot along the way. Uh, I bo- yeah, I'm sure. I just I'm thinking back to when I went through school and like, yeah, I mean, like some of those talking points were still on the on the syllabus, but there there was no pivot towards this is how you also do it. It was like these people in history have had to do this at one point, but it was not like and now the tools are in your hands. So like that's a huge testament to Boise schools that they make, you know, all the time that like your voice matters and people want to hear from you. So absolutely. I think I mean, I, every time it's 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 my teachers. That's, that's how I got here. It's, it's really public schools that, that made me who I am. That's incredible. You, you mentioned a couple really amazing kind of like collective social movements in, in that, uh, anecdote, um, both Extinction Rebellion and Sunrise, um, who you currently are working with on their new, um, their Green New Deal for Schools program. Give me a little bit of information about Green New Deal for Schools. And then I sort of want to understand a little bit more about how participating in these, um, has both shaped like what you think young people need to be like aware of and good at and also like how you now understand collaboration in a new way. Absolutely. Well, we know that we need to completely transform our economy from one that relies on extraction and exploitation to one that relies on regeneration where we can all share in our collective prosperity. We know that capitalism and colonization are the roots of the climate crisis. And there is only one plan that actually addresses the climate crisis at the speed um, and scale that science requires and justice demands. And that is the Green New Deal. Um, And one component of the Green New Deal, when we talk about this mass transformation, World War II era mobilization against the climate crisis, um, one component of that is schools. And I think this is the the most important component of it for, for several reasons. The first is schools are in every community across this country and they really are cornerstones of the way Americans interact with our government and one another. Um, And that means if we're able to transition our schools to 100% clean energy, then we begin that transition in Americans' minds. And and we begin to show that what climate action looks like on a local scale in every community across this country. And that's powerful. Number two is because the climate crisis is fundamentally uh, a, um, a youth issue. It's something that Again, Generation Z cares about by far the most, far more than the people in power currently making decisions. And it's something that we can organize and mobilize towards. Um, And then three, because we need to be prepared. We need our young people to graduate high school, able to enter jobs addressing the climate crisis today. We don't have time to wait around and for folks to go get their PhDs and figure out what we're going to do to address the climate crisis, we know what must be done. And that is we must end fossil fuels, invest in clean energy, and and repair the massive inequities that the climate crisis is exacerbating across this country. And we know that there there are real good-paying jobs that we can put folks to work in right out of high school doing that. And we need to prepare students for those careers. Um, And the Green New Deal for schools addresses all these things. The Green New Deal for Public Schools Act Um, is a a $1.4 trillion bill introduced by Congressman Jamal Bowman. It's the Green New Deal legislation with the most co-sponsors in Congress. And this bill would allow schools across this country to um, radically transition to clean energy uh, at an unprecedented rate, to um, get the lead out of the pipes, the asbestos out of the ceilings, and make sure that our buildings are safe and clean for all students to make school lunch free and end the stupid idea of lunch debt and uh, and childhood hunger that that is, you know, 
massively uh, affected by the climate crisis and to create climate disaster plans and pathways to green jobs so that schools are ready to respond when our communities are broken by climate disasters, by the next hurricane, by the next fire, by the next flood, um, and can help distribute resources and families know they can go there to heal. And so that students are able to enter these good paying union jobs that the Green New Deal economy promises. Um, and on a local level, students all across this country are, are organizing to make this happen in, in their school districts, because we know that there's money already out there that many school districts can already make this transition, right? The Inflation Reduction Act has a ton of provisions that make it really, really uh, economical for schools to tra transition to clean energy. So now it's not even a question of, do you have the money up front? It, it, is, it is cheaper to build a net zero school on day one. Uh, and, that, and that's radical and that's incredible. And that's something that we brought about by organizing for a Green New Deal. Um, and so now students are building power all across this country to demonstrate what it looks like for schools to embrace the Green New Deal and embrace this clean energy transition so we can build power to uh, the federal government and really create sweeping systematic transformation all around uh, this country and the world. You bring up such a, I mean, every point in there is like pretty critical, <laughs> I would say, but um, just like one that I feel like it's skipped over a lot when talking about um, climate change and kind of clean energy is this like just sort of baseline level of health for people. Um, and you were talking kind of about like asbestos and lead, but like clean energy is cleaner for people as well as the planet. Like, and I think that there's a, it's sometimes it's harder to make the, make the case for like, you should care about the planet, which is baffling to me, but sometimes it is. However, there's this other piece of that. It's like, it's better for every single person in every single part of your life. If we just transition to clean energy. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I care about the planet. I grew up in Idaho. People don't live, you don't live in Idaho for the politics. You live there for the, the land and the mountains and the rivers. And, and I love everything about uh, my, my home state. Um, but really, I am in this fight for the people. I'm in this fight because I know what the climate crisis does to families. I know what it looks like to have schools that are chronically underinvested in to then see the effects of massive uh, ecological damage and hurricanes, fires, and floods. Um, and I, and I know that we deserve better, right? And that young people deserve better, that we can build a world that where, where the economy really works for working people, where uh, everybody has a good paying union job and, and where folks don't have to grow up in fear of the next natural disaster and know that their community is there to support them. So participating in these organizations, these different movements, how would you say... Like, like what skills do you think that you have now that you did not have before these that you can kind of attribute to that participation? And then also how does, how has it reframed collaboration and collective action in your mind to actually participate in them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think organizing for climate justice um, has really informed my approach to politics and my understanding of how we bring about change in this country. Um, and that has always been through social movements, through changing the political common sense, right? Um, and I think, you know, I, I grew up in a community that really values um, family and really centers family as, as the unit for change. And I do believe that families are the unit for change because I've seen what's happened in talking with my parents. Uh, you know, when I go to a protest and come home and I'm like, have you heard of the Green New Deal? And they're like, how are we going to pay for it? 
Um, I've had those conversations and I've seen what happens when we organize and we make something like the climate crisis um, undeniable and unavoidable and unignorable by the people in power, the people calling the shots, who then go home to their kids and have to have a conversation because their kids saw it on the news. Um, and slowly but surely, American political common sense changes. And we realize that we can be whatever we have the courage to see. And if that is a Green New Deal economy, then that's what we can build together. Um, and I just think that the um, that, that's something that can be applied to, to a myriad of social issues, um, which the climate crisis intersects with all of them, really. Um, so I think I've, I've started to see things definitely in a more intersectional light. Um, but as far as like hard skills, I think uh, the skills that I've, I've like learned through organizing protests, through running for, for the school board, through, um, you know, creating public comment um, on NEPA protocols, stuff like that. Um, I think it, it really does transfer into pretty much everything I do. You know, the way I approach school and, and my, my coursework, the way I build relationships with my peers um, and really my understanding of like who I am and, and what, I can achieve. And what I realized over and over again is that my teachers were right. We really can do anything if we put our minds to it. Um, and once I think like hearing that is one thing, but once you believe it, it really is something quite freeing. And, you know, the, the, the potentials of that are, are really endless. Yeah, I that we would probably call all those skills like durable skills or transferable skills. They're just these things that are, are arguably the most important the last few months I've been trying to wrap my head around this, how to say it in a way that's like helpful at all. But I really do think that community organizing is like the skill of the future. It's like every single job that is important will require community organizing in some capacity because we are doing these massive infrastructure and like local and global change like uh, movements. And just everybody is going to need some capability of that. So I think it's really incredible that you're getting it as young, both as young as you are and as like often as you are, it sounds like you you definitely have that skill in spades. And I'm seeing it like my background's in the arts a little bit, but I'm seeing it even with artists, like artists now are uh, community organizers. It's like, how do we get a bunch of different voices to contribute to the same whole? Um, and I think that that's going to just keep happening more and more in the creative space as well. So it's yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's rampant everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, community organizing is what America was built on. It's why this country has been able to, you know, really change, change the world, change what, what it means to be free. Uh, and, and that's something that is, it, I mean, it's just invaluable. Yeah. Totally. So you mentioned the school board a couple of times. I do want to talk about that briefly. What, what have you learned from it about how schools work and like the role that activism can play in reshaping schools? Yeah, I love that question. Um, well, to get at why I ran for the school board, we had to go back to that conversation about this this initiative for a clean energy commitment and long-term sustainability plan for our schools. Um, after our board passed this collective commitment on clean energy, um, we, were, we were pretty angry, honestly. We'd been kind of subverted from the process, and we really did not feel that this, this resolution that they passed was enough to, to meet our demands. Um, and we started looking around at school districts, student groups across the country that had organized successfully to win uh, climate action plans in their school districts. And we found that on pretty much every 
school district that had a strong climate action plan, almost all of them had a student on the board. Um, and it makes sense when you think about it. I mean, students have a lot to bring to the table, right? We're on the ground every day in our classrooms and most board members are not. We, uh, you know, can, we, we built these like really vast networks of, of folks um, who, you know, interact on a daily basis with our school districts. You know, students are really the cornerstone stakeholders in um, educational decision-making and they're consistently left out. Um, and so when a friend of mine actually applied for on an open seat um, on our school board and, and didn't even receive an interview, um, I started looking into what it would look like to run for the board. And I realized that the school board election was just seven days after my 18th birthday. So I would be old enough to run for this, this seat. Um, and so in June of before my senior year, um, I brought all the folks from the Idaho Climate Justice League um, who had worked on this clean energy campaign for our school district, brought them all together and, and uh, we made a plan to, to run for the board. And um, that summer, we knocked on over a thousand, over five thousand doors. We raised over ten thousand uh, dollars, and we turned out over twenty thousand people to go vote um, in the largest school board election I think ever in our school district. Um, and we defeated an incumbent who had been endorsed by some pretty extreme paramilitary groups um, that had been pushing book bans and, and targeting our LGBTQ plus students. Um, on a campaign of climate action and action on the mental health crisis affecting our schools. Um, and I was elected to be the, the first student ever on, on the Boise School Board, and hopefully not the last. Yeah, no, congratulations again. That's that's amazing. I think that that's such a good model. Would you suggest, if you could wave a wand, would you make it so that the entry age to be on the school board is even younger than 18? Do you think that's too late? Like, is that uh, is that the right level so that you can get like older students or do you think it should actually be lower than that i think 18 should be the cap i think students, <laughs> students have so much to bring to the table yeah. in educational decision making and they're so frequently left out and i really do wonder what would it look like if students called all the shots in our schools totally. because i bet you would not see this mental health crisis that we have today i bet you would not see um you know superintendents who laugh in the face of of climate action in our schools um and I, and I think you would see probably more effective um, schools. I mean, I, I think this, the whole idea that, that young people uh, are unable to make big decisions, um, you know, is really a, a reflection on older people's faith in our school districts, right? If you're on a school board and you don't think that your school district is preparing the students um, in, your, in your school district to serve on in the same capacity, yep. then... Either you know you need to really invest in those civics classes, or or you probably don't belong on the on the board if you if you don't have faith in in your own students in your own school district. Um, and so I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer that if we involve students more in educational decision making and really bring students into this process, we can transform our schools. Amazing, that that was the perfect answer to that question. Um, the so th- this is a this is a hairy and difficult question. Um, Earlier in the call, you said that schools are the cornerstones of how Americans interact with government and one another. Um, but what do you think that the actual purpose, it could be that, but what do you think the purpose of school is? This is a really great question, and I, I really appreciate you asking it. Um, I am in an education policy class um, at, here at UNC, 
And we just discussed that exact question. And I, I think uh, some 1800s philosophers said it was social efficiency, social mobility, and like democratic equality, right? I think that was like Larrabee's thesis. Um, but I, and, and I, I think I'd like generally agree, but Larrabee said that, that the reason schools are mediocre, he, he, he said that the, the source of mediocrity in education is competing goals. And I actually think that um, those goals can and, and often do align. I think, you know, the reason um, this country is, is so great, the reason we are world leaders um, economically in terms of uh, protected liberties and uh, diplomacy, it's because of public education, um, because public schools serve to um, prepare students for more than just, you know, college and career, but but for citizenship and what it looks like to be a member of uh, our global community. And so, I, I mean, I, 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 I did write down an answer to this question and I brought up. Um, okay, and I said, the purpose of education is to create an intellectual is to create the intellectual, cultural, and socioeconomic conditions necessary to promote human progress, sustain democracy, and improve both individual and societal quality of life. Yeah, that that, and I and I think public education does a damn good job of making that happen. Um, you know what I've seen in in Boise schools is that you know students graduate with a CNA and they're able to go get a job as a, a nursing assistant. Um, right out of high school, there's we have students going to the top universities in the country, often often on full rides. Right, we are preparing uh, a generation of of leaders who are not waiting until they turn 25 to to run for office or or demand change, but who are organizing in their schools, in their classrooms, in their communities right now. Um, and I don't think anything could be a better testament of the power, the transformative power of public education. And what's going on today um, in our in, in schools across the country? All right. Well, good luck with everything you do. Uh, thank you for the inspiring work that you're doing, and um, stay in touch. We'd love to keep hearing what you're up to. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Mason. Thanks for tuning into the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 